0: Hey everybody, welcome to church. My name is Chris. Um, You are the few, the proud. Um, I think two thirds of our staff is out of town. So we're just really pleased that any of you turned up. It's winter break apparently for APS and um, you guys just, your plans fell through. So welcome to church, glad you're here. Um, If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke 6. While you do that, I wanna share uh, an update. We ask you last week to pray for us. Uh, We have been in a consultation process uh, as a church, a leadership, a vestry, over how we're meant to order and organize our life together as we move forward. Um, We have been through, I think, Uh, the last two and a half years, as have you, with lots of uncertainty, feeling like we're just treading water in the open sea. Um, We also are a church that is 20 years old and really asking questions uh, that we have found as a leadership and and a community that we couldn't figure out on our own. And so I ask you to pray last week that our um, consultant was sharing his findings with our vestry in a kind of executive session. Um, Tuesday, um, our bishop's going to be in town, and um, I will be sitting with my our Bishop and the consultant and a few vestry people. And then on Wednesday morning, our leadership team will be doing the same. And we would just ask you to keep praying for us. We feel really hopeful about uh, the future for this church and for what God is doing. Uh, we also feel really hopeful that um, individuals and our collective whole as a leadership team are going to be able to discern what is God's best for us. Um, our desire is to um, use our gifts to lead well and to lead you well. And so. Um, God is up to good things and I just would ask you to keep praying for us and we're going to keep you in the loop as we walk through the next weeks um, just to give you updates on what's happening in the life of the church. We are, um, I believe, Trinity is positioned to um, move out of this season of extended disruption of COVID and all the other things that come with that. Um, We've been paying attention to the city mandate um, regarding these things and we're eager to take these things off. Um, We believe that that's going to happen soon um, and we're going to keep you in the loop on that front. But all that to me adds up to kind of imagining what does our life look like and how do we provide leadership to you all and spaces for you all as we come into what we hope is a new season of real hope and optimism. Um, So be praying and we'll keep you in the loop. Um, if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke 6. We're going to start in verse 27. These words from Jesus follow on directly from what we looked at last week. So if you were here uh, last week, we looked at the, uh, the woe unto you text uh, where Jesus says uh, some things that were very direct. Well, this is more of that. And so I'm going to read and then we'll pray and then we're going to, we're going to jump right in. I'm going to read verses 27 to 38. Jesus says, but I say to you that listen. Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other one also. And from anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. Give to everyone who begs from you. And if anyone takes away your goods, do not ask for them again. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be your put into your lap. For the measure that you give will be the measure that you get back. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Good words from Jesus. Let's pray, and then let's try to... Hear Jesus today. Father, we ask you to help us to um, hear the word of God. We pray that you would help us to be present here. Jesus, we wanna know what it means to love those who um, don't love us, to bless instead of insult or protect. Help us to know what it is you're saying, God. I pray that you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, would give us a look at the heart of the spirit of what you're teaching, Jesus, today. So that we would apply this truth to our own relationships, our own lives. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. So last week, Jesus said, if you are pursuing resources, comfort, and reputation, woe unto you. And that word that we looked at, woe, is not Jesus saying, I really hate you people, I'm really disappointed in you people, and we're not going to be friends. What woe means in this context is, I feel deep grief and sorrow for you because you're going down a dead-end road and you're never going to get what you want. It's not going to give you what you want it to give you. In that same passage, Jesus says, "Uh, blessed are you in verse 22, who, when men hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject you as evil because of the Son of Man, Those words from Jesus about dead-end roads and the pain of relationships lead us to what he says right here. It's important that we understand that chapter and verse breaks in the Bible, they weren't there when the text was written. This was like a a thing um, more integrated than we tend to see in our Western world where we read one thing and then a week goes by and then we read another thing. Jesus was basically saying, when you go down dead-end roads and you're hurt by people, here's what I want you to do. So today what we're gonna do is we're gonna look at the something more that Jesus asks of us. Now I wanna make a distinction. There are times in relationship where you are being abused and what I'm about to say does not apply to that situation. What I've learned about Christians is that sometimes the text, even a text like this one, has been like weaponized to keep people in really dangerous situations where there is like abuse and dangerous stuff. And so if you are sitting in a space to where you're reconciling abuse, I just want to say to you that I am not, and Jesus is not asking you to stay in a dangerous or an abusive situation. He is not. What we're talking about today are garden variety hurts among family members believers that can accumulate and cause a break in relationship and something that's really ungodly that's what jesus is speaking to and that's what we're going to be looking at today so what i want to do is invite you right now to think about the places where things are hard in your relational landscape and know that jesus is speaking to those places if you're in a, a victim of sexual abuse physical abuse Um, deep emotional abuse, Jesus is not saying to you just stick in it and hope for the best. He wants you to take space and to get counsel so that you can actually be the person God wants you to be, okay? So we're going to look at the text with this in mind. Number one, Jesus invites us to look to him as we learn to love those who hurt us. Jesus says, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. Y'all, this is where the rubber meets the road. We can abstract our relational like world from our spiritual world. We can separate those things and think, um, I don't need to really look at what it means to love people who hurt me. And then Jesus brings us right back to the, the fundamental thing. He's like, I want you to learn how to apply your faith where the rubber meets the road. Do good to those, love those. Jesus would have understood love as desiring the good of another, not letting people off the hook, not pretending that there aren't real things that hurt, it's desiring the good. And sometimes desiring the good means doing hard things with people rather than just breaking relationship. And so Jesus invites us to learn how to look to him as we deal with the hurts and pains of life that come into our relationship. He's not making legalistic statements here. He is not giving hard and fast rules that don't need to be thought through. What he's saying to us, the spirit of what he's saying to us is this. I want you as Christians to live your life as free people, people who are free in God so that we can then look to people and all the complexities of relationship and we can say, God, what are you up to here and how do we navigate the complexity and difficulty of relationship? And I don't think and can't think of a better time for us to hear these words from Jesus because none of us are at our best. None of us are feeling great. The wider cultural conversation, no one is at their best. I was talking to a pastor uh, today, uh, uh, earlier this last week, um, on the phone, and he was saying that right now, because of where we are in the world, just with all that's gone on over the last couple of years, that every one of us is experiencing kind of deep disorientation. There's more addiction at play than there ever has been. Um, We're more prone to break relationship and to create caricatures of one another than we maybe ever have been. And there are times where you need to break relationship, but then there's what Jesus is talking about, which is what do we do when we're in tough situations and how do we navigate those to the best of our ability? I believe that there are also relationships at play in our lives where the Lord is asking us to do the hard work. If I'm honest, most of my sinful response in relationship arises when I feel threatened and unsafe. I think the same is probably true for you. So one of the things Jesus is trying to do is to give us an imagination for what does it mean to be safe and secure in him, not in reputation or resources or comfort, but in him. And I believe that if we'll learn to be secure, then we can actually do things in a different way. Social scientists call it non-complementary behavior. So I think what Jesus is doing is actually um, a forerunner to even what lots of social scientists are saying today. Non-complementary behavior is when you do something to disrupt or to flip the script. So Jesus says, if you get struck on the cheek, complimentary behavior, what is expected is to hit someone back. Um, if somebody takes something from you, it's expected that you would take something from them. And so when he says, turn the other cheek, And don't engage in that. What he's saying is, I want you to disrupt the status quo because you are coming from a place of security rather than a place of being threatened. Paul says the same thing in Romans. He says, do good to those who hurt you and you'll heap burning coals on their head. The book of Proverbs says the same thing, that we can, as believers, come from a place of security even when we're in turbulence and difficulty and begin to engage in behaviors that are different and distinct from what people expect. So in my you know, post-burnout moment of silence that we've been doing at the end of the service, I just wanna prepare you. We're gonna be looking for and spending time in quiet, asking God to show us places where he's asking us to flip the script or to do and engage in non complimentary behavior, maybe in a difficult relationship. You're gonna ask the Lord, show me where you're asking for me to do something different, to live as a free person rather than a victim. I believe the Lord wants us to live in turbulence in such a way that we do not embrace a victim mindset. And that leads us to the second thing. Jesus is teaching us how to function in the midst of difficult circumstances. He wants us to do things differently. And I believe that each and every one of us has an opportunity to engage differently in specific relational environments. Sometimes your enemy sleeps in the bed with you. Sometimes your enemy is somebody you really love. Sometimes it's better to see our enemies as people who oppose our desire or our will, people who miss us and we miss them. So do you have a relationship in your life where you just seem to always miss that person? I think it's important for us to think about what Jesus is saying when we think about that person and say, God, what would it look like for me to engage in a different way? I believe that the Lord wants to teach us how to react and interact in relationships, specifically relationships that are challenging. The third thing we see here is that Jesus invites us to live in God's abundance. He wants us to believe that God is more than enough. And the truth of the matter is the person who hurts you can never give you enough, even if they love you. A person who betrays you or injures you, or a person that you just are looking for comfort or security, get things that are born out of our hearts. We need to be secured and comforted. What Jesus is saying here is that God's the only one who can really meet that need. And many of us carry around a need for someone else to secure and do for us what only God can do. And there's an invitation here for us to live with an increased awareness of God's abundance that God can do what no human can do. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book, Life Together, says that no matter how close people get to one another, there's always a space between them. You can never actually make up all the space Jesus fills that space, and some of us actually have experienced harm in relationships because we've been looking to someone to do for us what only God could do. Do you know that if you have a 50-pound test line as a fisher fisher person and you catch a 100-pound fish, the test line will break, not because there's something wrong with it. It's just bearing more weight than it was meant to bear. We do that to our marriages, I think it's one of the key signs that we've created an idol out of marriage is that we put everything on the marriage and then we wonder why it breaks. People can't give you what you need. And I'm just sad that nobody's told us this. Your friends can't give you everything you need. Your pastor can't give you everything you need. Your lover can't give you everything you need. Your family, your mama can't give you everything you need. And one of the things the Lord is asking us to see is that God doesn't then therefore leave us alone. He says, I have abundance and the people you're looking to give you something just can't give it. They don't have it to give. So what would it look like if we began to liberate people from giving us that which they cannot give us? What would it look like for you to begin to acknowledge your own limitation when you feel that same demand coming toward you, to be recognizing and clear about the fact that we can't make up the lack, but God can. So if we're secure, if we look to him and we experience this abundance, then what we can do for the garden variety hurts in the church is we can just extend some grace to one another. Y'all, grace is in short supply right now. We take our toys and we go home. We do it in our romance and in our jobs and in our friendships and in our family. They do it in the halls of Congress. We're just doing this left and right. And I believe that as the people of God, he's asking us to engage in a different way. He's asking us to live as if God could satisfy so that we don't have to look to people to satisfy and so that we don't have to take vengeance on people when they let us down. And then Jesus says, be merciful, do not judge, do not condemn, forgive and give. Look at those words, be merciful, do not judge, do not condemn, forgive and give. The only way that you will live your life open-handed, and those are all symptomatic of open-handedness, is if God is securing you and you release the demand that other people would make it right, that they would make you whole. Do we need people to apologize when they wrong us? Yes. But they can't make you whole. They can't make me whole. The Lord can do that. And when I'm offering my hands open and I'm secured by him, then I'm able to refrain from vengeance. Then I'm able to not judge or condemn. And that's what we do when we feel like we're owed. We judge and we condemn. One of the reasons why I don't sit for caricature artists is that I don't want my worst feature to be blown up beyond all proportions. I know that I have a big nose. And I used to be skinnier than I am. I weighed 135 pounds when I married my wife. 6'1", 135. So I wasn't about to sit for a caricature artist. Like a, a rake, you know. Um, that, that's what we do to one another. Because if I can make you less than human, then I don't have to take you seriously. Like if I can turn you into something that's sub, then I don't have to deal with how hurt I feel. And that God's the only one that can make that lack up. And that if I could then treat you with kindness as human, then maybe there's a place where reconciliation could occur. So those things here, this list here, is the result of learning to open up our hands and to acknowledge the limitation relative to what people can give us to make us whole. And I think that there's actually um, an invitation here for us to recognize how little we really trust God. Because I'm always looking to people, it's really a a symptom of not looking to God. And maybe for some of you, the step that the Lord would ask you to take regarding your enemy is really a step in learning to trust God. Even the most well-intentioned person can't make you whole. So your enemies, people who do not wish you well, they for sure cannot make you whole. That's where we hear stories, you know, of people who long for vengeance and think, if I could just watch them get their just desserts, if I could just watch that person be executed, I would feel better. And then you hear stories afterward where they go, I'm still carrying it. Have mercy on us, God. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna be quiet. Again, Chris's post burnout, quiet time. And here's what I want you to do for the next three minutes in silence. I just want you to ask the question, are there places where I'm looking to someone to give me what they can't give me? And are there places now where I'm being invited to flip the script or to engage in non complimentary behavior to do something different or unexpected? So we're going to ask those questions just quietly. If you have a journal app, you can pull it out on your phone. Um, I would encourage you to, to do that, to have a journal app um, or to bring a journal. If you like want to go old school, you know, and write things down on actual books. But let's, let's spend some time reflecting on where have we looked for something that we will not get. Therefore, maybe holding bitterness or anger or unforgiveness. Where have you been tempted to diminish someone's humanity? And where is God asking us to do differently, to engage differently, to love our enemies? And then we'll come together and we'll receive communion. But first, let's spend just three minutes in silence before God, thinking deep thoughts about our own lives. you're able to stand together I am until going away for a few months I never kept a journal um, in my life I it was sort of like lived in the arena of flossing you know something you feel like you should probably do but you don't do as much as you should and um, during that time I I did begin to keep a journal and a Google Doc that I can access from my phone or my or my computer and I wrote 112 pages in four months of just kind of like pouring my guts out into, into a, a document. And I've continued to do it. And one of the things that I think is so good about journaling is um, that you can see where you're growing and you can see where you're stuck. Like you can just read it. Um, and I would just say to you that there may be an opportunity for you to, um, to start writing things down. And it might just begin with like, In church during those three very painful minutes I'm gonna write some stuff down (laughs) and it might grow beyond that Um, what I think the Lord wants to know is that we're being reflective versus reactive that we're actually like being real about where we are man I hope no one ever accesses my journal I mean I think I was a crazy person and the truth is I, I feel like I need to be real and raw and trust the Lord and watch the growth So my hope is that you would hold on to what you just thought about. For many of us, there is like an actual to-do, an invitation to engage differently in an actual relationship. And it could be the person you share a bed with. Could be a friend, someone at work. By God's grace, let's move, let's do what Jesus says. Every Sunday we come to communion It's the reason why we gather. It's the culmination of our gathering. It reminds us that we're fed by God and therefore strengthened to go do things that are hard. That's why we do communion and receive it every week. Communion is not birthday cake. It's not more special when you do it less frequently. It's, It's like daily bread, more than birthday cake. So we do it all the time. Before we do this, let's spend a moment and offer God our confession our sin silently. Uh, maybe in that moment you realize, I've been making a caricature of someone or someones, and now would be the time to confess our faults before a God who already knows them. And then we'll read, we'll pray, we'll come to communion. But first, let's spend a moment in confession before the Lord.